Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Vanessa Sage, assistant curator at the Figgy Art Museum in Davenport, about her upcoming lecture on rebel artists, which will be held this Thursday, March 11th at 6.30 p.m. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. Now, many people think of artists and and creative people in general as rebels in a way. There is this very romantic image of, of artists as people who tend to defy tradition. Why do you think that is? Well, personally, I think that whether we're talking about artists or poets or musicians or other people working in creative ways, typically they're driven by something internal, whether partially or fully. And I think that that drive to create sets people apart from the crowd. And they may have new ideas that are unbound by tradition or apart from generally accepted forms. And it's something that I think that people in general and maybe people in the upper reaches of different arts through time uh, can have some difficulty accepting. In addition, I think that there, in terms of art historical figures and specific artists, we tend to look at artists who defied tradition or the establishment in some way. We look at them and we admire them for their tenacity and their spirit, uh, as well as for creating an original work that in many cases influenced others. Mm-hmm. What topics will you be discussing in your lecture this week? So during the talk, I plan to talk about individuals as well as groups who defied convention or set off on an independent path in order to achieve what they wanted to with their artwork. And in addition, I'll be talking about some people who uh, challenged the way the art world was functioning in different ways. And through both their art as well as those acts change the course of art. I'm also going to touch on how things have shifted in art history, specifically how people, artists, as well as organizations who were considered outliers uh, came to represent the traditional as the avant-garde continued to evolve and things continued to progress. And I'll also talk about some specific anecdotes relating to those things. Can you talk about a particular artist featured in the current For America exhibition who, as an individual, flouted convention? Uh, there are a couple artists that I think uh, did that in different ways. Uh, in terms of societal conventions, there are several examples. And I, I thought immediately about the artist Cecilia Bow, who has a stunning self-portrait in the exhibition. Uh, it's from 1894. She has this really determined look on her face. She's in three-quarter profile, gazing straight ahead, and it's beautifully painted. Um, and she was born in 1855. So as a, as a woman during that time, she would have been expected to marry. And then if she was pursuing art before that marriage, likely to give up her artistic pursuits after. Uh, But she pursued the artistic profession at a time when it was rare for women to do so, and she did it with great determination. She studied at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, the Academy in Julian. She experienced great success as a portraitist and is considered one of the greatest painters from that era. And then 
In terms of artistic style, I would mention Jane Freilicher. So this is a little bit different than uh, what people usually think about when they think about like abstract expressionism. But there was a time when abstract expressionism, it was, you know, it was very dominant. And the artists who were pursuing realism uh, were not critically revered like those who were pursuing abstract, uh, working abstractly. Um, but she pursued working within a uh, figurative mode. And she and other artists during that period who pursued realism are featured in the post-war realism section of For America. Well, as you walk through the For America exhibit at the Figgy, which which begins in the 19th century up on the third floor, and then it ends in our very modern 21st century down on the ground floor. So it's spread out through three floors. You you really can't help but be astonished at the end by the artistic evolution that's taken place. I was curious, how did the National Academy of Design, who's collection was curated for this exhibit. How did they adapt to the changing times and, and how in particular did they view modernism? So the, the story of the National Academy of Design is pretty interesting. And as you said, as you walk through the exhibition, you can see things broadening both in terms of the diversity of the artists involved at the Academy, as well as the kind of painting that they are creating. Um, but the academy itself uh, developed out of a, a previous academy that was the American Academy of Fine Arts, which was known for being more conservative and supporting uh, classicism. And it was started, the National Academy was started by 30 artists who wanted more, uh, and they wanted um, to make it possible, uh, to make it to promote the professional development of professional artists in America. And so they did something, they started the New York Drawing Association because they felt that drawing from life and was an essential um, part of professional artistic development. And so they, they started out uh, pushing against the established academy. Um, but then as time evolved, uh, they became known as uh, a place that promoted figuration as uh, abstraction and other forms of modernism um, were developing. And so they were viewed, uh, they became more powerful, and then they were being viewed as a, a place of traditional aesthetics. Um, and they, like a lot of arts organizations in the United States, have evolved through time. So now they have, and you can see this in the exhibition, um, they've broadened um, the membership of the academy, but also uh, over time, the kind of art that uh, they promote through the organization. What, what can you tell us about the issues of gender and race within artistic organizations over time? Because we see that as you walk through For America. Well, I think that this was something that um, Diana Thompson, who is one of the curators of the exhibition, said in her art talk uh, was that you know, kind of by definition, academies are exclusionary. 
and that they did not exist within a bubble. So throughout the academy's history, you can see changes in terms of representation within the academy's membership. I mean, even at the academy, uh, the first Native American national academician didn't become a member until 2011. Uh, so that's, I mean, that is not long ago at all. And I think a lot of organizations are still, you know, they, they're reckoning with their past that you have to, you have to evolve over time to remain a, a viable organization and a vibrant one and one that shows the depth of art that can be made by different um, people from different backgrounds and experiences. Mm-hmm. There's a, in the, in the catalog, that you can purchase, I believe, in the Figgy gift store, which is which is really beautiful. There's this lovely essay written by um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's the same Native American artist you mentioned. It was from John Quick to See Smith. She was reflecting back on on her own heritage and how many of the earlier artists and members of the Academy were, you know, were painting the American West but portraying it in a very different way. Um, really kind of painting out her indigenous ancestors and how now, you know, bringing her voice to the forefront really is so important in terms of us truly understanding, um, you know, this place that we live in today that we all share. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the great things about For America is these responses by current national academicians and, Yes, Joan Quick to see Smith was the, the first Native American national academician. And in her response to that Bierstadt painting, um, it just adds uh, a really a, a different perspective than people are familiar with when viewing the work. So I think it adds a great deal to, to looking at the past and looking at the history of American painting. Mm-hmm. Well, conflicts between artists and their art organizations are not new. There are some interesting parallels between the United States and, and European art history that you'll be exploring in your lecture this uh, coming week as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and specifically um, in, in terms of some parallels, I was going to talk about uh, Impressionism. Uh, its impact in the United States, but also the roots of, of Impressionism in, in France. The Impressionists wanted, um, they wanted to make art the way th- that they wanted to. They wanted to do express art the way they wanted to, and they wanted the public to be able to see that art. And so this resulted in them holding independent art exhibitions after being refused entry to the salon in Paris because their work was um, considered unfavorably by the, you know, the traditionalists and the ones who decided what was uh, exhibited in the salon. In A New Internationalism, which is a section in For America, they talk about these artists who were influenced by uh, European artwork, specifically French Impressionism, and how they brought that over to the United States um, in the work that they were creating. And there was a lot of resistance also to Impressionism in the United States initially. And one example would be uh, a group that is called... So there was a group, uh, the Society of American Artists, 
broke from the National Academy in 1877 because they thought it was too conservative. And then 20 years after that, a group called the Ten broke from that splinter group um, because they felt that the uh, that secondary organization was hostile to Impressionism. And so you can see that these there are artists who want to express themselves and want to follow uh, the kind of painting, the kind of art that they want to create. And it's um, they're facing resistance from uh, these powerful organizations. And so they form their own independent uh, groups and hold their own independent exhibitions so that the public can uh, see the artwork that they're creating. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost, I thought about this bef several times, it, it's almost like they are developing a new language. You know, when, when there's such a radical departure, and we've seen this multiple times throughout history, this radical departure in terms of painting style, um, where there's this completely different aesthetic vision and idea of how things should be represented and, and an entire group, sometimes it's a fairly small group, but sometimes it's a large group, um, get really gets behind that and, and is a proponent of this, of this new change. It's, it's so curious. And it's also interesting because some of the artists who are grouped together, uh, their styles differ I mean, significantly, um, but they've found um, compatriots in in the fact that they're not being accepted by the, you know, who's holding the exhibitions, who decides what art gets into what venues and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a somewhat negative connotation to that word rebel. Some commonly used synonyms are contrary or defiant or disobedient. And, and yet, rebellion is often necessary to move our society or world forward. Is there, do you see a virtuous aspect to rebellion? Well, I think certainly within the context of the artists I will be talking about um, who have defied convention or challenged the status quo, I think there is something, um, and who knows what, and, you know, they have their own motivations and, um, but in propelling things forward, um, I think that is, uh, you know, for whether for the, you know, greater good or to, to push things forward, there is something there in that regard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that specifically, I think that groups of artists banding together in order to create uh, better conditions, not only for themselves, but for other artists to be able to create the artwork that they want. Um, that is something I think that's definitely um, towards more open expression. And there's something virtuous to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. It's you know, conformity just leads to portrayal of, of socially accepted images, which don't really make us think um, in a in a in a as deep a manner as someone who's really portraying something in a novel way, um, almost like a prophet in a in a way. And 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 there is this idea of of rebel artists um, as you know as thinkers, almost as philosophers, com you know, commenting on the social conditions of our time, our political struggles, our struggles, our frustrations. 
are you attracted to paintings that intentionally convey a, a message to the observer? I am. I am very drawn to artwork that has um, a narrative to it, um, something that I can really uh, dig into, or a humanistic element to the work. And that's one. Um, there's a couple different angles, I think, of of that experience in For America. I appreciate seeing the broadening experiences and the varied things that these artists are addressing and the way that they are choosing to express that. And I notice something different every time I look at the works. In terms of portraits, I wonder, you know, how these artists saw the world, how they saw themselves, why they chose to express themselves um, in that way. Um, and in terms of messages or specific concepts that the artists are trying to convey through, let's say, a narrative, I'm drawn to those works as well. Um, one example is uh, Paul Sample's painting Unemployment, which portrays a, a mass of people on the streets during the Depression era. And it has all these fascinating vignettes, the aftermath of a fistfight, there's a guy leaning up against a building who looks like he may be passed out. And there's an element, there's an element of humor to it. But there's also a really serious look at the effects on everyday people uh, during the depression. There is so much to see with this exhibit. And um, just like you mentioned in that last painting, you could spend so much time in front of that, that I think most visitors, visitors will probably feel when they leave that they need to come back. I know I need to, I'm going to need to go back two or three times to really pull it all in because there's so much to see. Um, you know, lastly, I was wondering what drew you to the lecture topic of rebel artists. Is there something inherently rebellious within you? Oh, well, I don't know specifically with me that there is, but I really admire artists who have challenged the way that that things are, whether structurally or artistically within the art world. I think it takes a lot of conviction uh, when you are pursuing a profession that is in many ways dependent on the support of uh, those people that they may have railed against. And I was drawn to this topic uh, originally in reading about the origins of the National Academy and just thinking about that cycle um, of, you know, established arts organizations or things that were conventionally accepted and then artists who uh, challenged those things. Mm -hmm. Well, Vanessa Sage, thank you so much for talking today and for all that you bring to the Figgy. Thank you. Figgy Art Museum Assistant Curator Vanessa Sage will give a virtual lecture entitled Rebel Artist this Thursday, March 11th at 6.30 p.m. This is a free program, although you do need to register online at figgyartmuseum.org. A Zoom link will be emailed to you two hours prior to the talk beginning. This has been Carolyn Martin. Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal.